follow your heart. Follow your heart. What a phrase. What does that mean? You know, the physical heart, it's connected to all members of the body. So from the physical heart, the liver, the lungs, the arms, the legs, the eye, the tongue, everything the heart is sending blood to. And so it's considered not just a physical organ. It is considered the life force. And like without the heart, nothing else functions. So even way back in ancient Egyptian uh, literature and art, this idea that the heart was really who people are started. And then we know from the passage that Deborah just read and more passages than we can even share this morning that the Hebrews and the scripture that we received divine guidance from understood that this word heart talked about something, um, something that's not so tangible. It's like you, it, it kind of describes an essence. It, it describes more than just an organ of the body, but it describes the essence of who someone is, the seat of emotion where love and affection and delight and desire and fear and vulnerability and rage, all of these kind of just flow out of the heart. So when I give the advice or I hear the advice, just follow your heart. That can be really helpful. It's a phrase that says, go for your desires, go for your dreams, go for your preferences. And so I think it's fair and good to say, you know, when we follow our heart, we're actually being the people that God created us to be. So I'm not saying from this point forward, let's eliminate that phrase. Let's put that phrase under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's follow our hearts because when we follow who we are and who God created us to be, then we please the Lord. So in that context, it's a great phrase. It's a helpful phrase. But let me suggest something else. Here's a problem to consider. What if our heart is not right? What if our heart is misleading? What if our heart actually takes us away from the will of God? That's the folly of following your heart. Now, I know this about myself. I know that I cannot always trust my heart. I can't. I've followed my heart before and I've made some pretty big mistakes because of it. That's why I need something more than just myself to make decisions. I need community, so I need you guys. I need my brothers and sisters who help me hear from God. I need scripture because scripture is not trendy. Scripture is not faddish. Scripture is not something that comes in and out of style. It's ancient wisdom that humanity and especially people who believe in this one true God, have we been drawing wisdom from Scripture over and over and over again? That's so important. And most of all, I need, I need God. I, I need the Holy Spirit. I need for Him to guard, to guard my heart, to guide my heart, to show, show me where I need to go. So here, here's a, a Scripture key verse for us. It's not real popular in society, but it's what the Lord reveals to us. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine. Here's just a healthy vitamin for you if you're self-reliant. The heart 
is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, we know the whole story of the gospel is Jesus cures the heart. Jesus redeems the heart. The Holy Spirit leads the heart. So we know the full story. But here at the beginning of this message, it's like good to be reminded of this, that like we can't always trust our heart. And, and so we, we have to put safeguards and, and we have to have other outside sources that help guide us. Another Christian author observed this, the Bible has a very different opinion of our hearts. They are not trusty guides, but a dishonest witness. That's not always true, but it's often true. The churches that I grew up in, you know, all the way through college, uh, we used to always go out to eat after services, especially the Sunday night services. In fact, before social media helped us figure out a way to keep up with each other, I really believe the old Sunday night service ended up existing just so people could check in with each other. It's like, you know what, the Sunday night service, just to kind of have another point of contact. And there was a time in my life I went to Sunday night service to figure out where everyone was going out to eat afterwards. And that's just, you know, God worked through that motivation and worked through that, worked through that community, but that was the old world of 20 years ago. So we would have church, and these are two different churches that I'm thinking of, and, and afterwards, uh, huge groups would go out to dinner somewhere. We're talking like 15 to 30 people. And I don't know why we had long tables because you can only talk to the four people around you. Um, but I figured that out after a couple of years that wasn't for me. But there was a time where I just really, really loved that. And there was a guy in our church who had some means. I mean, he, he was loaded, okay? This guy just had huge bucks. And he would always pick up the tab for the whole table. I mean, you, you would go and at the end, Rob would say, do this. Or he would, he would get the tab, he would get the ticket do the tip, do everything. So he was a pretty popular guy, as you would imagine. And so in college, you know, people would ask me, you know, college, you're broke. Are you going to go out to eat? And, you know, I'd say, I don't know. I can't, I don't have any money tonight. Of course, there was one thing you could do if you didn't have money. I forgot to talk about this. All natural free lemonade. What you did is you asked for a glass of water, you asked for extra lemons, and you took sugar packs, I know if you ever waited tables, you have to hate people like that. But give grace for those under 25 who used to do that. I'm glad those days are over for me. So someone would ask, hey, do you want to go out to eat tonight? And oh, I don't know if I have the money. And then they would wink and say, well, Rob's going. <laughs> See you there. Now, what would ever happen if Rob had... A moment where he said the dreaded words and you had no money. He said, separate tickets. All right, so what was a blessing became an entitlement. So there, there, was, there was a risk there. And so this is what happens when we're always trusting in somebody else and not trusting in, in our own sustainability and more importantly, uh, trusting in the Lord. In today's passage, Jeremiah is giving this poem is what it is. And he's contrasting the way of the wicked in verse 5 and 6 with the way 
of the righteous. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to help us identify our hearts by suggesting three different uh, contrasts. Here's the first one. Cursed or blessed, write it down. Cursed or blessed. My 14-year-old son, he told me last week, this is funny, he, he's been listening to me for, preach now for five years since he came out of children's ministry or whatever that math is, four years. He's 15, first of all, that's why it's five years. Golly, I'm glad he's not in this service. He would be so mad at me, he's 15 years old. So, so like, like I'm standing down here, you know, and the church is kind of missing and Lincoln comes bopping over to me like he does sometimes and he goes, hey dad, I did something t- today I've never done. I actually took, I took notes on your sermon. And I went, well, well, that's great, son. And then he said this line, you're actually a good preacher. <laughs> okay, so if you don't think I'm a good preacher, just try taking some notes. Maybe that'll help you a little bit. <laughs> so cursed or blessed, here's the contrast, verse five. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. So if, if, if you're going to the restaurant and you order the steak because Rob is, has paid for the last five meals and you're trusting in Rob, you're going to be under a curse if he doesn't pick up the ticket that time. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. Isn't that interesting that when we trust in mankind for our provision, for our emotional health, for our significance, then we're really abdicating trust to the Lord. That's what we're doing. Here's the contrast, verse seven. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, and remember this, that word Lord doesn't just mean the guy in charge because it's in all caps there. It's talking about Yahweh or Yeshua. So it's talking about um, a specific God. The Hebrews wouldn't say his name. They just write kind of an abbreviation of his name. But the, the, these caps say it's a specific God. So this isn't like 12 steps where it's like some higher power out there. I'm not criticizing 12 steps. I'm just letting you know the scripture saying if you trust in a particular God, in a very particular God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed himself in scripture and through the, uh, the historic church. If you trust in that God, that person whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. I want to tell you this, is that there is a blessing for you. The more you trust God, the more blessing is before you. The the more you depend upon men, you're, you're in a vulnerable place. So let me ask you this question. Who in your life are you depending on too much? Now, community and family calls us to interdependence. So that, that sometimes we, to follow the ways of the Lord, we choose to be interdependent. I'm not talking about community and family. What I'm talking about is when you're dependent upon someone else for your significance instead of God. When you're depending on someone else for your advancement instead of God. When you're depending upon someone else for your identity instead of God. And we have this attitude. We wouldn't verbalize this, but we live it. I need to be close to that person. Because when I'm close to that person, it makes me feel a certain way. I feel secure or I feel complete or I feel whole. While not 
diminishing the power of friendship and the power of partnership. But if that replaces the power of God's friendship, then it puts us at a vulnerable place and really we're under a curse that we may not even understand. I know the word curse feels strong, but I don't mean it like a hoax. I just mean it as an opposition to the blessing of God. We, we sometimes feel, I need to be close to that person to maintain what I have. Have you ever had a person in your life where you feel like that's the key person? That's the key person. You know, planning a church, and I'll be honest with you about this. I don't like telling you what I'm about to tell you, but when, when I was planning a church and when churches were in vulnerable uh, places and years, even as a pastor, this is crazy. I, I would sometimes feel like a certain family was crucial, like more than crucial. Like, like if that family wasn't involved or if that family left, like the, the whole thing would fall. And, and talking to other pastors, that's, that's a common temptation. Uh, maybe a certain group or a certain small group or, or maybe a certain staff member. And it's like, if that staff member left, you know, I, where would we go? Pastor Aubrey is, um, he's, he's doing ministry out of state right now. But what if we said, what if, what if Aubrey's not doing the music? Or, or, you know, what if Beth doesn't do the music anymore? What would happen to my preaching? Oh, no, the whole church would fall. I'm trusting in a man and not in the Lord. Okay, so I just want to give you some of my professional temptations is what they are, okay? Because you have them too. So who do you trust? Who do you trust? You know, by the way, I have to say this. If, if, if Beth did leave, I probably wouldn't be the pastor anymore because she's my wife in case you didn't know that. <laughs> she is the one person that needs to keep part of the church. Here's our psalm for today, and it's going to weave in and out of the three contrast. Contrast. Psalms 1 and 1 and 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. You know, we talk about fasting and and fasting food and then we fast entertainment maybe we need to appropriately fast people have some solitude before I was married I my group of friends were so important to me I mean it's like in retrospect it's like almost like idols to me like I had to be with them and 20 years before the the, the phrase FOMO fear of missing out came on I mean it was just a saying of I got to be with those people and, and that can become an idol to us. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to spend a night alone because you're not really alone, right? Solitude, you get, you've got the presence of the Lord. And I know that for all ages, but I would guess, especially for younger people, what a, what a pain it is to see like group pictures that you're not included in. Man, that has to be a pain sometime. That has to be a hurt. Man, turn, turn to the Lord during that time. He'll season you. He, he will deepen you. He will give you something that when you are in those groups, you have something to give, right? You have something to give. And, and, and th- this is the, the sense of identity. Let, let me just speak again from my profession. 
Sorry, you'll have to translate this. This is, again, pastors, we're so weird, you know, we're so weird. You know, we, we, we somehow think like if we just hang around someone, a successful pastor, like we'll automatically become successful. And while there is truth that friends do shape who we are, it quickly can become an obsession that we're idolizing people. And we're, you know, we're, we're, we're spending more effort trying to be close to certain people than the God that we're supposed to receive inspiration in life to. I hope you can apply that to you professionally. Hey, watch out. Watch out who is dominating your emotions, who is dominating your identity, who, who is dominating your future. Like, I gotta be close. They're the key, they're the key. No, God's the key. He's the key. Well, somewhere way above our heads right now is, is something is floating. And this is a very cool thing. I, I believe it's one of the, the least celebrated modern day achievements. There is somewhere above our heads the International Space Station. Isn't that cool just to say space station? Right? This thing has been floating since, it's not floating, it's actually orbiting. It's orbiting and it passes, it has like 18 sunrises and sunsets a day. So those of you with a scientific mind can imagine how all that works. I just read about it and tell you about it. But since the year 2000, this particular space station has been in orbit continuously. 18 different countries have, have had, you know, either what we call astronauts or scientists or even some citizens be part of that. Right now, as we speak, there's three people on that space station. And I, and I think it's just an incredible accomplishment of humanity. All types of scientific um, experimentations are happening up there. So much is, is, is being discovered as, as we um, consider the future and what those ramifications are. A couple of interesting things about being in the, in, in the International Space Center, excuse me, Space Station, uh, it's, it seems glamorous, doesn't it? It seems like, wow, this would be really glamorous. But I ran, across, I ran across this quote from Scott Kelly that I thought was hilarious. I hope you think it's funny too. By the way, go back to Space Station real quick. I just got to say one thing. I, just about once a quarter, I put something really sarcastic on Facebook, and I did that yes, Friday. I'm not my, my, my point was... When we have a low self-image, we pick good sports teams to follow. And I was trying to make a funny point, but I'm okay. If you've been praying for me about my self-image, unless the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that, don't worry about it. All right, so here's this quote I think is funny. I hope you think it's funny too. This is uh, Scott Kelly. You may know him, famous astronaut. He said, I was touring the Harris County Jail, which is in Houston, Texas. So Houston is in Harris County. And there's this room that smells like space station, combination of antiseptic, garbage, and body odor, body odor. You know how on earth with gravity, stuff tends to rise or fall depending on its weight compared to air? On the ISS, that doesn't happen. So smells can kind of linger. That is horrible to me. That sounds like a great definition of hell to me because I, <laughs> smells are important to me, you know? I mean, smells are, it's, it's, I don't like nasty smells. And I'm, I'm kind of sensitive. So, so no threat of me going to the International Space Station at all. Uh, on this, this is right now, our, our country stopped um, going into space on its own in 2011. So now we're dependent upon the rest of the world. So America, Canada, Europe, 
and Russia all are supporting this space center. And in fact, the only way to get to the space center is through a Russian rocket. Now, I know sometimes we have the attitude of when it comes to international relationships, it's not my problem. You know, I'll just check in when it's a problem. But if you are one of the three people who are in the smelly, stinky International Space Station, how many of that global relationships matter then, right? Because you don't want to get stuck up there uh, while the countries of the world are squabbling. So here's my next contrast, deserted or established. The one who trusts in man will find himself deserted. Jeremiah 17, verse 6. He will be like a juniper in the Arab, Arabas. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. So this is talking about the region just south of the Dead Sea. It's not, it's an arid place, it's a deserted place. In this particular plant, the juniper, scholars believe it was a plant that you didn't sow and reap, it just was like a weed. And because of that, because there was no useful fruit, it was not used as part of any religious observance or religion. And I thought this was interesting. He says, he cannot see when good comes. Isn't it interesting that when we are in deserted places, when we are in isolation or when we're, when we're, when we're at places of spiritual isolation is a better way to put it, we, 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 can't even, we can't even recognize the good gifts that God gives us. Here's the contrast in verse 8. Instead, or instead of being like this fruitless tree in the desert, instead he will be like a tree planted by water and it sends its roots out towards the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. This is a great scripture to claim Speak over your life, speak over your finances, speak over your health, speak over uh, just our, our, the neighborhoods that we live in, the cities we live in, that this great fear that we have about culture and society, that we as God's people will flourish in any atmosphere. We will flourish in any atmosphere. You know, I... I'll, I'll speak to this occasionally, but I'll go ahead and do it again. I, I've, I take a Sabbath every Friday, and I've worked harder to disengage more. Because of some of my academic work for a few years, I use Friday to do that work. And that's not really a Sabbath. So now that my life slowed down a little bit, you know, I, that, that I'm really trying to disengage. And so, do you know, one of the things I have time to do on Friday is, is watch the news, <laughs> And then I have this satellite radio where I could get some of the news in my cars and driving around town. And I realized by the end of the day, Friday, I was worried about a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't worried about Monday through Thursday. I'm not going to do that again. Then I was at the grocery store Friday afternoon and there was a, a man, he looked to be in the 70s or something. I'm right standing behind him in line. 
uh, this actually, this wasn't Friday. This was a day that, that I was working. Um, I was standing behind him in line and he like turns around and he starts talking about the news of the day. I said, well, I haven't, I haven't even heard about that. He said, well, that's waiting for you when you get home tonight. <laughs> so, I mean, really as a pastoral point, and I, I'm, I'm thinking through this, it's like when we have, for those of us who, who are maybe retired or we have an orientation where, where we have uh, flexibility over our schedule, watch how much news you watch. Like check in and then check out the rest of the day. Because it's just like, why well, have all this anxiety? Other people are getting paid to worry about those things. Get informed, pray about it, find something else to watch. Andy Griffith is a great thing to watch. <laughs> all right. I probably won't share that in the second service. So there you go. There are many kinds of deserts. And while we're talking about education in our country and really in the state of Tennessee and in middle Tennessee, there are education deserts. This is something that a lot of times we don't want to, we, we, we want to turn our eyes to in kind of a suburban type of area. But even here in Hendersonville, uh, sir, there, there are the underperforming schools here in Hendersonville. Here's the truth. A student's chance of success is affected directly by the socioeconomic community in which they live. So here's the deal. I believe in homeschooling. Uh, okay, we don't need votes, but all right, I heard, I heard that woo from somewhere. <laughs> I believe in private education. Groups of people can, should be able to get together and form schools. But I also believe in public education because when people don't have parents who can educate them and they don't have access to private schools or funds at private schools is that it does good for our society when every child has an opportunity for education. So for those of us who are interested in a better future for everybody, not, not just our kids, not just our tribe, but we're interested in, in a better future for everyone, we should care about public schools. It, do, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't homeschool your kids because there's good reasons to do that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't send your kids to private education. There's good reasons to do that. But the conditions of these schools directly impact our future. And we have a great school district and we have more people employed in this church in the school district than in any other sector. I used to be proud of that, and then Jeremy Johnson told me, well, yeah, it's because that's the biggest employer in Sumner County. So I was like, okay, well, we're not special. We're just statistically accurate. <laughs> but thank you to principals and teachers and, and all of you for what you do. We have a great school district. We have a mayor who's interested in underperforming school. I'm, I'm part of the Chamber Foundation that's funneling money from private industry into the schools. People like Pastor Doug Varnado from Community Church, are he's doing, him and Linda are doing something about underperforming schools at Community Church, and you can look into that. People in this city care about education. They care about education deserts. Where there are deserts of ignorance, we need fruitful education. So after you raise your kids, and it's okay for your kids to be your primary interest. In fact, if everyone made their kids their primary interest, then our country would be a better place. But after you raise your kids, come on, be part of the solution 
citywide, countywide, statewide. Care about those kids who don't have parents who care for them. So those are education deserts, but in our spiritual life, we have those same types of deserts. Spiritually, here's the last contrast I want to ask you about. Are you parched or fruitful? Are you parched or fruitful? Reading these same scriptures again in verse 6, he will be like a juniper in the Areba. He cannot see when good comes, but he who dwells in the parched places in the wilderness and salt land where no one lives. On the contrast, verse 8, he will be like a tree planted by water, sends its roots out towards the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its foliage remains green. He will not worry in the year of drought or cease producing fruit. Look at verse 3 of our psalm today. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruits in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God's called all of us in every stage of life to be fruitful, to be fruitful, to stay close to the presence of God, to stay close to the stream, to stay close to the nourishment of the word of God, to let the spirit of God flow through us. And when that happens, we're gonna be fruitful no matter what the challenge we face. This is what God's called us to be. This, to, this is where God's called us to be. And this is who he's called us to be. People who are not trusting our own hearts only, but are trusting the maker of our hearts. The folly of just following your heart. Sometimes if you follow your heart, you'll leave uh, tough situations that God wants you to endure in. You can't just run from the drought. You have to thrive in, in the drought. You can't, you can't just become someone who just is replanted every time a difficult situation comes. You stay right there. The presence of the Lord is going to make you fruitful. And here's the gospel application for us today. As we look forward to the resurrection, we are God's fruit. We are God's fruit. That's why our bodies matter. That's why our physical bodies matter. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15 We've touched on it the last couple of weeks. Such an important chapter in the Bible. We will be raised again. God's going to cause this matter that we have to raise again in a resurrected body. It's a different body. It's a glorified body. It's a sinless body. But he is going to raise us up again. The first resurrection is pointing to the next resurrection. And the next resurrection will be us being resurrected with Christ. We are, the, we are his fruit. We are his fruit. We are the fruit that matters to him. And so it is, we don't follow our hearts. We follow the heart that is redeemed, the heart that is spoken for, the heart that is sanctified, the heart that is set aside for the purposes of God. Let's stand in an attitude of prayer together.